Well, good morning. Welcome to Lifestone Church. We're glad you're here this morning. This message is going to stink. It's going to be really bad. Okay? This is, I'm, I'm serious. Like, if you want encouraged this morning, I want to encourage you to get up and go. Um, I, I say that. I'm kind of kidding. I'm trying to get your attention a little bit about what we're going to talk about here this morning. But uh, what we're going to talk about is a continuation uh, in Romans, but a continuation of what Paul is teaching us about where we stand before God. And the, go- the, the news is not good. Um, and it, it makes the good news, the gospel, what Jesus has done, that much better. And today specifically, last week we, we looked at some things that people would categorize, especially religious people, people who have been accustomed or heard God's truth or law, they would say, okay, here's evil, and here's some evil people, and these are the things that they do. And, and Paul wants to make sure that the religious self-righteous types don't think that this doesn't include them too, that they don't think that they have any issues. And so um, let's pray. No, oh, there, there, okay, I see. Tyson, you need encouragement. I feel you, brother. All right, see you next week, man. <laughs> All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your word and your truth. I thank you for the amazing um, talent and musicians that you've given us to help lead us in, in worshiping through music. God, um, what a powerful name, the name of Jesus. It truly is. If there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know how incredibly loving and gracious and powerful Jesus truly is, I pray today would be the day that they experience spiritual life and, and are reborn. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's all turn to Luke. I know that's weird. We're in Romans, but, but I think this is really good. I want to show you in Luke chapter 18 how, how Paul is, is following exactly what Jesus is teaching. That, that what we believe about Scripture is this is all God's Word. And that he uses, he inspires uh, the different writers to, to give us his pure and perfect word. Everything we need to know, to know God, to follow God, is in the Bible. That's what the Bible declares about itself. And then it, it, prove, it proves itself by the consistency that we find within it, the accuracy that we find within it, the, the supernatural evidence that we see uh, in it. And so, anybody here have a red letter Bible? I love those. Those are so cool because what that means is simply that, that when Jesus is teaching or speaking, it's in red letters. So you know, oh, that's Jesus directly. Um, but uh, as good as that is, and, and I, I don't even know if this is red. Yeah, this is a red letter Bible. Um, uh, don't, don't be mistaken that somehow those red letters are more significant than the rest of Scripture. Because we believe, even though God used a different instrument, that, that, that all the words of scripture are from God. And it is cool to kind of know specifically what Jesus was saying though. But, but what I want to show you is that what Paul is preaching lines up exactly what, with what Jesus taught. And I, this is such a powerful story. I think it drives home this point of talking to people who think, yeah, yeah, there's evil people and they need forgiveness. And man, and, and we looked at a culture uh, last week that, that is farther and farther away from God's plan and truth and, and kind of the, the cycle or the kind of downward spiral that they go into to, 
becoming more and more away from God's desire and plan. And this week, we're going to see how also religious people, sometimes people that have some exposure to God or religion, they can be in this false sense of security, thinking that their religious actions and connections and works make them right with God. And Paul wants to make sure that you, you know the truth. So this is bad. This stinks. This is really bad news. But it's truth. It's reality. And that's the most loving thing we can often do is share the truth. Um, and then there is good news. But that's just the last like minute of the message. Okay, So just get ready. Um, so let's look at Luke chapter 18. Short little story that Jesus tells. 9 through 14. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other one was a despised tax collector. Now I love this story, so some of you guys may have heard me share it because I think it's so powerful. And if you have any kind of church background or connection, this, would sound, this was a very familiar story to you. But Jesus has this audience that, that isn't like us thinking 2,000 years ago where we hear the word Pharisee and we think a negative term. They think hero, community hero, pitted against the worst of the worst in the culture, in the community, a tax collector. So his audience is already going, this is good. This is good, Jesus. This is going to be a good story. You're pitting the best of the best against the worst of the worst. And they, and they both show up to church together. Oh, man, what's going to happen? Verse 11 goes on to say, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I certainly um, am not like that tax collector, as he glances over. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. I'm so good. Look at my religious effort and the religious things I do. Um. Verse 13 goes on and, and just quickly summarizes this story. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I mean, you see the picture there. You see the drama unfolding. You see the arrogance and the pious self-righteousness of that religious person coming in and what he stands before God saying, I'm pretty awesome. And, and, and let me, just to highlight my awesomeness, let me point to and remind myself of people who are evil. And, and why I think this is a good comparison to what we looked at last week is because that's, that's what... You know, the religious person might walk away from Paul saying, look, people without God need Jesus, and here's what they do without trying to follow his way. And they might walk away going, but I'm fine because I'm, I'm not like that. And so Jesus deals with the same attitude. But the, the, the tax collector, he has such humility and knows his standing before God, he doesn't even look up. He just hangs his head in sorrow and, and comes before God in, in incredible humility. Verse 14 goes on to say, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. The audience would have, there would have been an audible gasp. <gasps> what? For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves 
will be exalted. Number one in your program, our only comparison should be to God, not others. And when we do that, when we seek out to see what God is like, what his character is like, unless if we have a false view of who God is and we've been taught something incredibly you know, not true and not biblical about who God is and have some small, small, puny version of God, but when we discover the true God and who he really is and, and what scripture says about him, how he's proven himself, when we encounter that character, we have nothing. Our, our natural response is incredible humility. There is no way we would be like the Pharisee and puff up our chest and say, hey, you and me, we're, we're tight, we're good. Let's, let's you and me, man, let's, let's just get together. I'll, here's my prayer time. You and me getting together talking about how bad other people are. That was what he was doing. That, there's no way that happens if you encounter the reality of who God is. And, unless, I guess the other flip side is that you have some distorted view of who you are and your goodness. And you think because you follow some man-made rules or something that there is no evil, there is no, um, nothing that separates you from this amazingly holy, perfect, good God. And so Jesus just wants people to know the truth. And he tells it in a shocking way. And Paul's about to do the same thing in chapter 2. So our only com- comparison is between God and not others. That's, what, that's really, when I kind of boil down to how God got a hold of my life, I think that's something he did with me. Some 20 years ago, I, I grew up in church. I'm an MK. Some of you guys may not know what that means. It's a missionary kid. PK is a more, more common term, preacher's kid in church circles and church worlds. Well, I was an MK. My parents were full-time missionaries to Mexico. I grew up in church. My grandfather was, I was a, wait, a GK, a grand, wait, a preacher of a grandkid? I don't know. Um, he, was, he was a pastor, but... I grew up in a very Christian environment and culture. And I knew and I heard the gospel and I knew that, you know, we're all sinners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And Jesus went to the cross to cover my sin. Yeah, I accept that just because I was taught that. So I guess I need to accept, you know, I don't want want to go to the hot place. I want to go to heaven. So yes, Jesus. But but when I really thought about it and, and saw how weak my Christian life was, it was because I really didn't think I was that bad. I didn't think I deserved God's wrath and God's separation from me for eternity. I didn't really believe that. I just felt like, well, that's what I'm taught, and I guess that's true. And so I accept that reality. But when I took good stock of myself and my attitude and my selfishness and got a bigger glimpse of a holy, perfect God, I understood. I was like, yes, I deserve to be separated from God. Um, Number two, our only hope is for God's mercy and compassion, not in living a better life. That's part of Jesus's point here, too, is that what, what did the tax collector do to receive God's mercy and compassion? He just displayed humility. He asked for it and recognized his need for it. Pharisee didn't even think he needed it. He was fine. And so Jesus wasn't coming along. Like you could totally distort this story and say, oh, I know what Jesus, maybe you'd have to take out his, his ending. <laughs> um, but, but he wasn't saying, well, you know, 
the best of the best in your culture, the Pharisees, who are like the religious elite and do, you know, they're the top, the top notch uh, church people. <laughs> it's kind of before church, but you get what I'm saying. They aren't good enough. So what I've come to do, maybe what Jesus was saying, is up the game a little bit to, to know how you can really be okay with God. The Pharisee didn't cut it. And, and if that's what people walked away with, you could imagine they'd be like, man, that's the best we got. Like, man, they, they, that guy, he said he fasted twice a week. They were only required to fast once a week. He like doubled it. You know, that's not Jesus's message. Sometimes religious people walk away with that kind of thinking, though, is that, oh, we just got to do even better. That, that's, not what Je- well, that's not what Jesus obviously is trying to point out here. Um, as we go into Paul's argument, and what he's going to walk us through, remember that Paul is educated. His argument is more intellectual and sophisticated. Uh, I love Peter when he describes how Paul teaches. Uh, you, you, if you guys know a little background of Peter, uh, what was Peter doing when Jesus came upon him? Well, okay, he was throwing out nets. He's just a fisherman. He's a good old boy. He was good with getting in a in a boat and going out and throwing the net out, and hey, I'm just going to be a fisherman the rest of my life. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And, and so um, he doesn't have this kind of, you know, in that day and time, it might be compared to like an Ivy League type of education, and he wasn't the elite class of, 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 of thinkers and leaders and spiritual leaders like Paul was. Paul was in the super elite class, and he had this kind of training and background. And so God uses that in a powerful way to use him in the way that he constructs his arguments are a little bit more sophisticated. But one thing, just a little warning, in knowing that that's what Paul does, uh, he doesn't just throw out the truth in a direct way. He'll build an argument. And so one thing we can actually easily take Paul out of context by not looking at the whole argument of what he's saying and just proof text is, is one term that we use to say. And a lot of people do that. They say, hey, this is what I think about God. Uh, he's probably like this and this, and he probably likes what I do a lot in my opinions. And so let me find some Bible verses that match up with that. I know there's some that might say, and you can make the Bible say whatever you want. If that's how you approach scripture, you can take verses out of context and take half a verse here and attach it to another verse that is not even addressing the same subject. But and and you can make the Bible say whatever you want. Um, And so it's important to know in Paul's uh, sophisticated arguments to to look at where he's going. I'll point out what what uh, when we run across that Romans two, one through 16 is all we'll get to through this morning. Okay, I hope I'm living up to expectations. I hope this is the worst sermon ever. Okay, you may think you can condemn such people. Remember who he's talking to. Like, okay, we just talked about like no argument evil people. And you religious people, you may think you're not included in being someone who's considered evil. But you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked... And should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. Religious people easily, and I can testify this to my own in my own life, can easily get blind spots. 
Even people who, who know the truth of Christianity and, and they know that it's not by our effort or our works that we're right before God, that Jesus does it all, somehow, just in our natural human nature, we can slip more and more into an idea that we had something to do with it. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, the longer you walk with Jesus, you forget and you, you give some kind of attachment to you having something to do with it and start looking at people who don't have your values and you start looking down at them and judging them. And we need to always remind ourselves that that's not the case. That, that it is only Jesus' goodness and perfection that makes us right before God. Nothing in our own, in our own ability. Um, and so, verse 2, it goes on to say, And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? So they're judging other people, and they don't even realize that they are guilty of the same evil. It kind of reminds me of, I've run into a lot of people who, um, at an intellectual level, they want to reject the idea that there's a God, because they can't, their argument is there's no way there would be pain and evil in this world if there's a good, loving God who's all-powerful. How could he allow that? And they're asking that question, right? How could a good God allow evil in the world? And the irony of that is they don't see themselves as evil. And so they think, well, a good God would just wipe out all evil, but they probably are excluding themselves, right? But God in his graciousness and what Paul will go on to talk about patience in wanting all people to come and, and understand his grace, he's being patient and not immediately bringing his justice on people. And so it's that same type of thinking. They're, they don't understand that, oh, yeah, yeah, God is good and just and people are wicked and Except me. Like, we always want grace when it comes to our own actions. We always want mercy when we mess up. But we tend to want justice when someone does us wrong. And, and we're just blinded in that sense sometimes. And religious people can get into this mode of thinking that their religiosity and the things they do somehow make them right before God. And Paul's making this strong argument. And think about where Paul's coming from. Mr. Religion himself, right? Someone who he calls himself a Pharisee among Pharisees. Like if anyone could brag and say, man, I have done all these things to be one of God's special people. He says, it's me. But then I had this encounter with Jesus and I understood the gospel and understood the good. I understand that we all fall very short of God. So number uh, one through three, um, don't congratulate yourself for being a good person. Don't get puffed up and prideful and, 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 and live a life of just condemning other people who are, what you, in your view, farther down the ladder of righteousness or goodness. Because that is not a, an accurate view of how we stand before God. The Bible says even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Even the good things that we do are tainted by the fact that we're, we're sinful. 
And so when we, when we try to make the comparison, we are, we're, we're not miles apart. We're infinitely apart from a good, loving, perfect, just, holy God. And when we try to elevate ourselves with other people and point out other people's sin, it's ridiculous, really. It's what Paul's saying. It's silly. Either you have a puny, wimpy version of who God is and you don't know how holy he is, or you have a weird view of yourself and think that your, your little goodness and your deeds and that God doesn't see your heart and doesn't know the secret things in your life. That's, I'm jumping ahead. That's what the passage ends with. Okay, uh, let's pray and go home. We're done. Now, um, verse 4 goes on to say, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That, that, that's what God is using to draw people to himself, showing how kind he is. The picture that we get here is that God is a just God, and, and a just God, like a just judge, he is a just judge, uh, he can't ignore sin. He, he, he's not a just judge if he had a, a, someone who was convicted of murder in front of him, and he just said, you know what, I'm, I'm a loving God, or I'm a loving judge, so I'm just going to dismiss this murder that he, you've been convicted of because I'm just so loving. We would be, you know, especially if we were personally affected by that, we would say that is awful, horrible. He needs to be kicked off the bench. Like, that is not a just judge. And God is just. And so um, he can't just ignore our sin. But, but he says that here's what he's doing right now. Here's the reality. It's like he's holding back his wrath. That we don't immediately get the consequences of our sin. And, and that may give us a false sense of security. All right? I'll try to find something I can use to display laws, natural laws that we see in this world that we immediately see the effect of. If I throw this up and I catch it, what's going to happen if I throw it up again? The same thing. You're amazed just that I could catch something, right? I know. We know in natural laws uh, that we experience in this world, we know the direct, immediate effect. And we're not, you know, we're not kind of in doubt about that, usually. (laughs) But God says there, his righteous, holy law is that sin demands justice and punishment. But he's holding it back because he has paid for that. And he's, he's made a way for that to be taken care of. And he doesn't force anyone to accept that and then enter into a relationship with him. But in his kindness, he's holding that back. And so that's the reality of where we stand before God. We should experience immediately the punishment that we deserve for our sin. But this is how God, his plan what he's decided to do. Verse 5 goes on, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And so there is a day, the Bible says, that there is a day that we stand before God in judgment and that we have to give an account for our lives, for every action, for every thought, for every secret thing that we thought we got away with. Um, verses four through five says, 
or I'm sorry, four and five, don't confuse God's patience and mercy with his approval. And so, you know, these, this picture of people that, that Jesus gives of, of the Pharisee and, and that Paul's pointing out, like you're, you're casting judgment, but you don't understand the, all the wrath you've stored up in your own life. That, that you think somehow, because you haven't experienced his punishment immediately like gravity, that you're okay. That, that you're blessed. Hashtag blessed. Right? Like, what does that mean? What do we think that means when we say, you know, how are you doing? Well, I'm just blessed. And oftentimes we think, well, I, I'm, I'm financially blessed. Often we, we look to uh, our needs being taken care of and um, nothing tragic happening in our life, no health issues, no loved ones maybe going through something like that. And man, so, so we might use that term, I'm blessed right now. And, and in saying that, I, I fear that we might think that we're good with God and we forget that it's only through Jesus that, that we're good. Uh, Matthew 5.45 says, uh, For he gives, and this is God, for God he gives his sunlight to both the evil and good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Now follow me here. I think we can just be blinded by this. I know I've run into people who love Jesus and are devoted to him in, in, in ways sometimes I've, I've never seen, and they live in, in abject poverty and have gone through horrible, miserable things in life because they, live, they don't live in the same culture we live in. They live in some third world country or something, but they love Jesus. They're devoted like people I've never seen. And, and, and in the flip side here, especially we can see it, people who are blessed and have wealth, have fame, have health, have, have the respect of other people. And, and some of those people in our culture just mock God with the way that they live and completely reject him and do whatever you know, is self-serving to them. So, so don't be confused. We just live in a time like this is a reality, Paul's saying, that God is holding back his wrath. Don't think, oh, well, this is going good with me. I'm fine with God. And those people, oh, they're going through bad things. They must not, not be good with God. That's not how, how Scripture reveals what God is doing. Verse 6 goes on and says, He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. There's a verse that you might take and say, oh, that's the way that you're saved. Like you get eternal life when you keep on doing good. What Paul is saying here, he's kind of, this is like intellectual humor. You guys meet like really smart people that are funny? Yeah, me neither. So, <laughs> no. But he's just showing like, yeah, okay, if you're, if you're perfect, you're all good. I, I let one of my friends, he likes to preach that, that there's, the Bible says there's two ways to get to heaven. There's two ways to be saved. One, be perfect. Follow God's law perfectly. Two, Jesus. One is impossible. <laughs> Nobody can meet that standard. And so um, that's what Paul's saying, the same thing. Like, here's how you have eternal life if you're perfect. And, and sadly, now, I shared this last uh, service. I've met two people in my life <laughs> who, with a straight face, told me they were perfect and have always been perfect. <laughs> and I thought, 
I'm stepping back because you're lying right now. So, I don't, you know, and that's such a bold-faced lie. I don't know what's going to happen to you. But um, most of us would not dare make that claim, especially if we had the, the, uh, the level of perfection that we understood that God is calling us to. Um, the Pharisees didn't. They manipulated and managed their way of following God and their rules. And they said, if we're doing all these things, we are perfect. They kind of had that view. And, and, and that's why Jesus on the Sermon on the Mountain stuff says, if you, if you hate someone in your heart, because they'd say, I'm perfect. I haven't murdered someone. They'd say, if you hate someone in your heart, you've, you, you are guilty of committing murder. He, he elevated the, the level for people who had a low view of what perfect really means. And so um, Paul's highlighting the same stuff. Um, he goes on in verse 8, says, But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be t- uh, trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. And I love that God cannot, his nature is perfect. He cannot in his nature show favoritism. That, there's a good uh, intellectual question to debate. Don't do this in your life group, but, you know, are there things God can't do? Yes, there's things he can't do. He cannot go against his nature. Um, and, and so he can't show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, there will be, uh, they will be destroyed, even though they, have never ri- uh, they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Verses 16 through 13, don't believe the lie that good people go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Perfect people go to heaven. Or you might say forgiven people go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Because here's what, here's what it looks like. Uh, and this is... I think, I hope this doesn't sound too uh, arrogant. I think in the world standard, I'm a pretty good person. You know, like I could make some arguments. Like, hey, I'm a pretty good, I try to be a pretty good dad. I try to be a pretty good husband. You know, I'm a pastor, you know. Um, And so if we're just like, here's this big scale of good people and bad people and and personally my good deeds and my bad deeds and and if my scale is more good then I go to heaven which a lot of people believe um, then okay I I get to go to heaven I think because I'm a pretty good person just uh, last week I was talking to someone who just said you know what I just think I stand before God which I thought was interesting because I think there's a lot of cultures that have this concept, we're going to talk about this, that God puts in their heart that, that, that at some point after this life, we stand before our creator in judgment. So I'm like, where'd you get that? That's from the Bible. Um, so, and they said, you know, I just stand before God, and I, I think God's pretty chill. I think he's pretty cool. And I think I'm an okay person. So I don't think he's going to reject me or punish me or anything like that. Okay, so here's what heaven looks like if just good people get to go there. Riverton. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, it's me there, 
And it's just a bunch of people who are kind of like me. And you know what we still have here? Envy, greed, hatred, rebellion, selfishness, pride, like all those things. So, so God is saying, I want to be in perfect unity and harmony and relationship with you. Have you ever thought about that? Part of the gift, not just, oh, we don't have to go to hell because Jesus forgives our sin, but, but God wants to have a relationship with you like you've never had with anything, anybody else, a perfect, loving, amazing relationship with the creator of the universe. And he wants us together to have that and worship him in a perfect place where there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no, no people, you know, uh, trying to get their own way, and, and, and it's a perfect place. That's what heaven's going to be. And so only perfect people can get there. A bunch of, you know, Pharisees or a bunch of religious people or a bunch of people who think they're good, and that's what, it, no, that's a horrible, that's nothing like what, what God paints a picture of, of what heaven's going to be like. So only perfect people get in there. Um, and jumping a little bit to the good news, uh, Jesus' perfection is offered to us as a free gift. It's not something we can earn or do anything to gain. It's offered as a free gift. So um, I'm trying to remember what I read. Uh, verse 14, even Gentiles who do, do not have God's written law, because some people ask, what about people who have never heard? What about people who have never heard the gospel or about Jesus? And what's, what's going to happen to them? Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. Even without having heard it, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is a message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God through Jesus Christ will judge everyone's secret thoughts. And so a secret life. So it's, you know, again, speaking to these people who think they're fine with God and they judge other people who they think aren't. He's saying, this is God we're talking about. He knows your thoughts. He knows your secret life. He knows the things that you think you got away with that, 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 you know, because no one was around. Um, But he also is saying that, that God has done something unique in mankind. That he has written his, his law on the heart... Every culture has some concept of right and wrong. They might, you know, play it out in a different way or execute it in a different way within different cultures. But every culture, every... Have you noticed that only humans get together and have conversations about what's fair and what's right? You know, you see there's like a a group of dogs fighting over a bone. Who gets the bone? The biggest dog, right? And we might have some compassion and feel bad for the little runt who couldn't get it, but there's no moral dilemma here. There's no like, oh no. I mean, I mean, think about the worst case scenarios of like animals, because sometimes that's sadly what people who want to reject God they just want to they they really bring humans down and say, oh, we're just we're just animal like. But there is this unique, distinct thing that happens nowhere else in the animal kingdom that we have this sense of right and wrong and it has no benefit to us when we exercise it. When you get on a bus and there's an elder lady who walks on and you go, oh, okay, I'm going to get up and allow them to sit down. It doesn't happen in the animal kingdom. 
The, the younger lion kills the older lion so he can be with the lionesses. And you don't watch that on your safari in Africa and go, oh, the moral outrage. Let's start picketing the lions. I, uh, we, came, we used to live close to the Fort Worth Zoo, one of the best zoos in the country. And we had a friend who worked there. We loved going to the zoo. And I remember when the kids were little and like going and seeing the rhinoceroses. And all of a sudden, one rhinoceros was like doing something and... Our little kids were like, what are they doing? Why is that rhinoceros playing piggyback with that rhinoceros? We're like, let's move on. Let's go see the giraffes. Oh, the giraffes are doing it too. All right. Let's go see, you know, the spiders and they, you know, eat their mate. And, and we don't, you know, we're not like terribly disturbed. Like, is that consensual? I saw the rhino on the bottom doing this. Let's call the police. I know you guys are like, he went there. I'm trying to make a point that, that I hope is driven home. We're not, it is not brilliant and smart to make us just like other animals. God has put, in, put something, put in, <laughs> I'm the smart guy. God has put something within our hearts that, that shows morality. So I love that Paul, uh, because he's just such a smart guy, that God uses some of the kind of classic arguments for the existence of God. In the chapter 1, he talks about um, that creation itself cries out that there's a God. That, that, you know, you you look at creation and it's like this music stand. You look at it and you go, I don't think there was like a pipe factory that blew up and all of a sudden they just, it all came into this and now we have a music stand. You look at just the simplicity of this design and you go, there's got to be a stand maker. And, and I, I don't know who made that stand. I, I, don't, I can't find the maker of that stand within the stand itself. Some people want to push that argument. These, the maker's outside of that stand. I don't know where it was made. But just this stand shows to me enough evidence that there's a stand maker. And so Paul points out that argument goes even more into, you could get into the fine-tuning argument of just how... How, how complex uh, the creation we find is. And so it, it points out to a, 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 um, an intellectual creator. Um, and, but then he goes, I think this is one of the stronger arguments for God, the moral argument, that there is something distinctly different between humans and animals and, and that we have a sense of right or wrong. 14 through 16 there, don't dismiss the moral code that we are all born with. And so Paul says, and, and he's trying to just pour out the truth of how bad the news really is <laughs> so that we know how incredibly good the good news is. So you've got to come back next week <laughs> to hear about, okay, this is our true condition before an awesome, holy, pure God. But he loves us so much that he gave his son, his perfect son, to pay for our sin, to give us the option to take on and be clothed with his perfection, his righteousness, not a righteousness of our own, as the Bible says. And and it's not just, okay, well, God forgives us, and then we don't have to experience his wrath. He takes it a step further. When we accept Jesus and what he's done for us, and we're made perfect, like I talked about earlier, then we have a relationship with him. And he makes us full-on sons and daughters, adopts us into his family. 
It's an amazing thing that he offers us. The good news is so amazing, especially if you know how bad the bad news really is.